You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron and Jake hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe. You know who's still fired up about the NFL draft? I have one guess. Yes. I think we just pulled the cord and he is raring to go. His name is Gus Cattengale and he joins us on the Stuart Shelby Hotline. Gus, what's up? How you doing, man? How you doing? Good. Uh, how much fun have you had with the NFL draft and then, of course, breaking it down over the course of the last couple of days? Uh, I tell you, it's interesting between that and obviously uh, getting ready for the Pels and yes. you know, their playoff series. It was actually a fun week, man, just kind of looking at all the different scenarios and things that could have happened and wound up happening, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we talked with last Tuesday. I thought, if you remember, I thought the Saints were going to be aggressive. I didn't think there was any way they were going to pick at 27. That that turned out to be true. I didn't, uh, you know, I mean, believe me, I, I was sitting there going, oh, my gosh, did I really actually think that, that they were going to get Lamar Jackson? Because <laughs> that's what a lot of people thought, a lot of the analysts thought. You know, when they saw the Saints move up, they're like, all right, here it is. You know, they're, they're going for Lamar Jackson. And um, so I was surprised when, you know, they make that trade up and then you start seeing that they gave up a first-round pick before the pick actually came out. And I'm like, well, geez, this, this is for Lamar Jackson, then, isn't it? And um, uh, I tell you, man, I it makes so much sense. You know, when you take a look at their draft picks and what they did and why they did it and um, the different areas in which they had to do. Because, you know, when we talked about last Tuesday, we said, hey, look, this team is probably a team that has, you know, playoff potential. And if not championship caliber already just based off of their roster, right? And so when you looked at it all, it made sense to see that they would go and, and try to go get a difference maker a player that can change and affect it right now. Whereas, you know, I think the rest of the draft made sense to where, to me, it was just depth and just adding players that were going to either compete for positions or Aaron be special teams players. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's where I think this team you know, was and would be the most healthy. I mean, what, 21 players in IR to get some of those back, as we've been saying, at least half back. And, you know, where are some of these other roster spots that some of these players are going to have to compete for and get into? So I think when you take a look at it from all that perspective, it was a draft that made a lot of sense. And when you broke it down, um, there was one common denominator, that one common denominator Sean Payton had with um, – the guys the last two drafts for sure and those are guys that have chips on their shoulders those are guys that want to you know prove something and more importantly to everywhere else you know there people are doubting you know whether it's the national media saying you know whether it's Lattimore Kamara and things of that nature and then you wind up seeing what they're capable of doing so look I'm not saying anybody on this draft could be what we saw last year I just don't see that and as Mickey Loomis said, hey, look, you, you had five picks in the first three rounds last year. I mean, if they were going to be good, more than likely than not, and you had one in the top three picks. So, I mean, you know, two in the top three. So it's just, it's slightly different, but let's see how it pans out. 
Gus, the question is, though, did they give up too much to go after Davenport? Right. You know, that's, that's the thing, right? I mean, that that is – I know around here that is easily the, the sticking point. I mean, whether it's our show, whether it's the gym, whether it's Walmart this weekend, whether – you know, it's anywhere, the barbecue where our family was at. I mean, everyone's kind of going, well, you know, is is the price too much? So it, it comes down to, even Sean said over the weekend, you know, last year everyone's going, Alvin Kamara, way too much of a price to pay for him and to, in order to get that. But at the end of the day, you look at him and look, he turns out to be, in my opinion, Probably, if not probably, I, I honestly think, yes, uh, to me, the most talented player on the offense right now. I mean, I, a guy is the most dynamic player on the Saints roster. Now, that, that's, a, that's a fine. You know, I mean, you have to talk it up to that. It's kind of like I said, going into this draft, the odds of the Saints getting another draft like that, it just it doesn't happen. It may not happen again ever when you think about it, getting the offensive rookie defensive player of the year. So, you know, that's just, uh, you chalked it up to that was one of the best drafts in team history. You know, you look at it from that perspective. But if this guy, and this is what I keep saying, this isn't Miles Garrett or Jadavian Clowney when he came out in terms of the team that drafted him needed him to be J.J. Watt out of the shoot. The Saints don't need him to be J.J. Watt. The Saints need him to be something. I mean, now they drafted him and paid a price for him to be a lot more than just something but how many years have we been sitting there saying they need to find somebody to help cap you know cam jordan they need to find somebody else on that other side to do that they've gone out and gotten one-year players went out and got guys like haulohi kikahai they haven't found anybody and you know say what you want and how a player develops and things of that nature but you know when Jadavion Clowney was put opposite J.J. Watt. I mean, the Houston Texans have been the number one defense during a top five for a long, long time, you know, since he's really been there. Um, what, what, what is he going to do? You know, and, you know, was it Mario Williams? They did they try to do the same thing over there at Texans. So it, if it helps Cam Jordan, if it helps your linebacker, if it helps your corner and your safeties because your quarterback has to acknowledge that size, and that's what I keep trying to explain. I guess to you. is it a high price? Yeah, if the Saints don't make the playoffs and they're in the teens and twenties, it's a high price to pay. But then it's a disappointing season, regardless. Isn't it? I mean, it is. And this team could try to move into the first round and do things of that nature. And this team's a, an aggressive team. So, look, the New England Patriots have been picking late twenties, early thirties for years, and they've stayed a Super Bowl team. So. You can be successful picking back there. If your pick's 29, 30, 31, 32, that means he went to the conference championship game or to the Super Bowl and lost or won it. I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about that if the Saints make it to the NFC championship game or win the Super Bowl or even play in the Super Bowl. And if this guy can get you half dozen to eight sacks or so, uh, and get a couple of quarterback hurries. We had Frank Wilson on the show yesterday, and, I asked him specifically that, you know, fans look at stats. But, you know, when you're DN, they attribute your success that season to sacks. And I said, I think you're falling short 
if you can get a quarterback early, if I can just throw the ball quicker, if I can alter my route, if I look left and I see this guy at 6'5", 6'6", with the wingspan of seven foot and above when he throws his arms up, well, then that three-yard, that three-drop slant maybe becomes two-and-a-half or becomes four-and-a-half, where I have to back away from the line a little more to get that passing lane. Or do I have to stay a little shorter to the, to the line of scrimmage? You've already altered me. If on Monday, you know, you walk into the facility and the coaches go, all right, expletive, how are we going to defend this D-line? You know, that you've already affected the game plan. Mm. If the quarterback goes up to the line of scrimmage, looks left and right and go, wow, those, those are two trees on the end, that affects the game plan. Maybe, maybe you take away quick outs and things of that nature. Maybe you take away the slant. And if this guy has the speed that he does, and Frank Wilson was like, this guy can go side to side. He can go chase players. Well, if you have Cam George, who we've seen, drop back in coverage, he's that athletic. And if this guy can sort of develop and be like that, then think about what you just got. You are affecting game plans. You are affecting calls at the line of scrimmage. You are affecting a linebacker or a running back that's in pass pro, and he's peaking now. He's peaking left and he's peaking right on the D line. Does he have the time in a second and a half to – peek left and right on the line and then look at the middle linebacker and see if the safety's coming and blitzing. He affects you in so many different ways just by having that. Now, the guy shows up there and he's a bust and he can be blocked by one person and he's not fast and he can't pick up the defense, then yes. But if you trust what Frank Wilson tells you, if you trust the people that Frank Wilson has helped get to the NFL or recruit to LSU that have gone on to the pros, if you trust the fact that Frank Wilson and Ryan Nielsen are close, coached together, and Ryan Nielsen, who came over from NC State last year to be the D-Lions coach for the Saints, turned, you know, I mean, Cam Jordan had one of his best seasons, right? Triple-double. Um, people say on that team, Sheldon Rankin's had a tremendous year in helping everywhere else. And this weekend, Ryan Nielsen, the former D-line coach at NC State saw four of his defensive linemen get picked in the first four rounds. Think about that. An entire defensive line in a college went in the first four rounds. So my money is that he's going to be able to get something on him. So, you know, if you got a guy that can knock down Noodle Arm, can knock down Cam Newton, and think of the quarterbacks you're playing, dude, in the NFC much less this year. Goff, Cousins, Wentz, Ryan, Newton, throwing Big Ben in there. Um, I mean, dude, yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. And that's why they did it. You know, and they, again, you, you look at Anyamana, you look at Hendrickson, you look at Hendricks. I mean, you, you've drafted a lot of young players, and either for one reason or another, because of injury or it's time for them to get developed into the next stage. You have players there. So I think sometimes fans look at it and go, oh, you wasted last next year's first round pick. You're picking up there in the 30s, and they didn't wait at 27. What makes you think they want to pick at 31, 32, or 29? A follow-up question. I'm just curious with your conversation with Frank Wilson. Obviously, he has seen some great defensive ends in his day. Did he say yeah. anything that stood out to you about Marcus Davenport and how he's developed and, and what makes him so elite? The thing that I think that stood out more than anything is he said that he's the type of guy – that actually wins during the week. And he spoke about his, his ability to read and diagnose 
And this is what I was kind of impressed about. From the running backs to how the wide receivers are trying to block down. Because I asked him, I said, how did they try to block y'all last year? I mean, what mm-hmm. what did teams do? And he kind of chuckled and he said, they did everything. They chipped, they put a tight end, they brought a receiver to get in his way, they rolled the pocket. They... So he's seen a lot of different things already. And he said what was impressive to him is he read and diagnosed it all. And he would go sit down and study and he would figure it out or he would do it during the week so he was prepared. So this isn't just a guy that – I guess that's the thing, Eric, I'm trying to tell you. It came across as he's not just the player that steps on the field and kind of walks around campus with his backpack and goes, hey, I'm already the man. Wait to see me on Saturday. He puts in the work during the week. And, again, that's why I think – things stood out to attach to what you're saying with Frank Wilson to what Sean Payton said back on Thursday that he was sold on him in the first 10 minutes at the Combine in the interview to the point in the Combine uh, when they watched him work out and they said alright someone go look at tape and that Payton speak as alright how do we use him how do we use him what did they do so they spent two thirds of the time Aaron trying to find how he was going to be used and how the Saints were going to be used and what they did and how, you know, UTSA used them. And they used that and they did all of that in terms of figuring it out because they already saw that this guy could play physically. And I think that's what's impressive to me is that, you know, in the film study, when you look at all those different things, it definitely came across as somebody that, you know, has a lot more upstairs that I think a lot of people either give credit for or maybe don't even realize and think about it. So, um, I mean, Peyton kind of compared him to Sheldon Rankins, kind of unassuming, not even boring, but just, I mean, dude, I, I it took me about, I don't know, seven or eight bites that I could get out of him in the most of about three seconds that I could actually use on the air since he's just not, you know, very talkative or something like that. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, he it, fits what that locker room is trying to be or, or what they've been trying to kind of reform here in the last two, uh, two draft picks. But that, like I said, talking to Frank Wilson was something else, man, because um, it's funny. You just asked me what stood out, not only about Davenport, but I dare say I'm listening to him speak. And I'm like, why is he not the LSU head football coach? <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm just telling you, man, listening to him talk. Cause I asked him the first four questions were about, to me, uh, like recruiting and, you know, what? because he's known as such a great recruiter. And I said, look, it's easy to look at guys that are 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and be like, hey, this guy can do it. But I'm like, what are the intangibles? And dude, he went through a five-minute list of things that stand out to him. He talked about how they start tracking people in sixth and seventh grade if they're running under four or five, and they keep up with their parents. How is he doing? Is he eating this way? It's like, you just got to – got a peek behind the curtain as to why he was so successful at recruiting, man. And then he starts talking about what they're doing at UTSA with him. And, you know, he, he had a, he had a kind of poke his chest out a little bit. He said, you know, it was the number two defense in the entire country, huh? And I said, no. And he goes, the Roadrunners. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. So, dude, I'm, t- I'm just saying, man, he, uh, he, he sold me. He impressed me already, but. No man, he he was a he was a great conversation. I'll tell you what, he's willing to talk, so you guys reach out to him, man. We'll do. Hey, that darn NFL! It was still the the spotlight away from the NBA. We got a game to break down tonight. Uh, one or two mm-hmm. things that we should look for for the Warriors yeah. and the Pels, and how crucial the game this is 
for New Orleans in this series? Yeah, obviously it's crucial that you can't go down 2-0. You do that, I mean, you're, you're really staring up. If you win tonight, Aaron, game one becomes just a, well, they won game one, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, you come into New Orleans 1-1. Um, look, in the four games they played, they played better than that. They were closer. The three things that stood out to me, and I'll say it really quickly, A, this is not the first round. This is not the regular season. You're now playing the defending champs looking for another ring. Okay? It's, it's a different level. You have to pick it up. You saw to me playoff and experience for the first time in this postseason, right? See, with Portland, you can sort of hide that because you're, I think, the more talented team. You had an opportunity to where if you just shut down the backcourt for Portland, you kind of shut down that team. With Golden State, you, no. I mean, the entire team is talented. Their basketball IQ is incredibly high. They know what they're doing. They're unselfish, and people forget. It's easy to look at. Clay Thompson's flashing the three, Steph Curry's handles, Draymond kicking people in the unmentionables. You forget they're the number one team in the defense for a, lo- a number of years. I mean, they, they're that good. So they can defend. They play team offense, team defense. They do all those different things. You better be on top of your game. So to me, the first quarter is probably more indicative of what I thought this series is going to be. A 41-21 second in which they get their runs, you miss shots, that's what hurts. Thirdly, AD has got to play more assertive and aggressive. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. You've got to play like you're an MVP candidate. And what I mean by that is you've got to be aggressive. You got taken out. You got in, not intimidated. I don't think it was a, a, a mentally, hey, this guy's bigger than me. But Draymond Green's as close to Dennis Rodman as I've seen since Dennis Rodman and what he does, a lot of the good aspects of it is he takes you out. He's yelling, he's aggressive, he's smacking the ball on a rebound. He knows just how to tug on your jersey enough, just enough to hold you on your shoulder before it's called a foul, but he'll let you go. But he's throwing your balance off and he's throwing your timing off to go get a rebound. That's why you kind of saw AD look like he's on skates. He's being held, he's being pushed just enough to throw him off right before his jump to go get a rebound. But Draymond lets you go, so the referee's eyes aren't looking at you. Look at that tonight and how he does that. So what are the adjustments? What do the Pels do to get AD more in space and use his athleticism? But at the end of the day, you got to be aggressive. They're going to put Kevin Durant on Drew Holiday, which was a genius move. you got to get him in foul trouble. Drew's got to use his quickness, run him off the screen, make Kevin Durant work that game, do those things, and then that way you can maybe kind of turn the tide a little bit. But – that first quarter, dude, they were, they were in it. I mean, they were back and forth. The third and fourth, you kind of saw it there as well. Plus, fourthly, dude, and I said three, Clay Thompson shot his butt off, right? I mean, they, they haven't played that well in two months. Trust me. I've been watching the Western Conference standings up and down. They couldn't catch Houston. They had not played good basketball like that in a long, long time, in at least about a month and a half. So you just chalk it up to it was their night. They came out. They showed you why they're the champs. Now, how do you respond? So, now you know, it's interesting tonight. Gus, we want to hear more. Where can we find you? ESPN 003 on the TuneIn radio app. Absolutely free, 12 to 3. You can follow me on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17 or at ESPN Radio. No. Thank you, Gus. Have a great week, bud. Thank you, bud. Gus Cattengill down at ESPN NOLA. He said, I will uh, say this real quickly. <laughs> Real quick. Uh, By the way, Gail Benson, big week. NFL draft, Pels Warriors, and then she has a horse in the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Yeah. 
Um, Don't blow off the Kentucky well, had, Derby. Uh, all right, I'll get to what I, I'll say my what I had to say for after the break. Time. Go ahead. Well, just about Davenport, because I, I mentioned it yesterday. There's a really great article on Bleach Report about him, about how he struggled in the first two days of the Senior Bowl practice. The third day, and I looked it up, uh, NFL.com had something on him saying the South team couldn't block him. He said, I thought he was thinking a little bit too much and struggling to get off the ball earlier in the week, but he got after it on Thursday. He was all over the place. He's not a finished product yet, but he finally showed what he's capable of. So it kind of goes to the point of what he was talking about with Frank Wilson, that, it, yeah, if it's one-on-one, if it's just straight-up raw ability, it's going to take him some time, but he's a, he's a quick study, and once he kind of gets his feet under him, he can be unblockable. 888-993-7762. Lane Burrow's coming up at the bottom of the hour. Coming up next, uh, we'll continue the worst draft picks of the 2018 draft. We're back after this. You didn't like that line about Frank Wilson, and uh, he, Gus said, well, well, I was just thinking why he shouldn't be the next head coach or why he's not coaching LSU. I didn't. That'd be a nice rise uh, through the coaching ranks for Frank Wilson. Yeah, no. I. Everyone at LSU loves Frank Wilson. There's not like him being a head coach at LSU is not a big stretch because everything that he's accomplished. I mean, he was at LSU for a long time and for a long time, LSU dominated recruiting. It's because, because of guys like Frank Wilson. All right. Uh, worst picks in the uh, 2018 draft. You got a couple? Sure. We can, we can spew off a couple of these. I think this has to be on both of our lists. Rashad Penny, mm. Seattle. Maybe it's just not because of Penny. It's just because of the players that he was drafted in front yeah, of. Yeah. Like, that was the biggest stunner in the draft to me, that they went with Penny over Geis, Michelle, Chubb, and even on Johnson. <laughs> you know? Like, what was that pick? And even Ronald Jones. So I, I found that really, uh, really crazy. That was quite a reach. Seattle. So you feel comfortable saying Darius Geis will have a better NFL career than Rashad Penn? There's no doubt in my mind. There's not a single doubt in my mind. No. Uh, Denzel Ward was getting a lot of publicity and, of course, considered the, the best defensive back in this draft. Most thought he would be a top 10 pick. I don't know how many people thought that he would go fourth overall. Yeah, so I had to include that one as well because, listen, he's going to be a good player. He's going to have a chance to be a really good corner, but if you have the opportunity to take Chubb in that spot and you go with Ward, a guy that was projected 8th, ninth, instead of a pass rusher, which, by the way, is still the second most valued position in the NFL, it didn't make much sense. It, it felt like such a Cleveland Browns move to make. That, that's funny because – Earlier in the show, I think we were off air at the time, you said, man, Cleveland had such a great draft. And now we look at your fourth-round pick, and it's a question mark, and then at quarterback, some would say, well, perhaps they made the wrong decision going with Baker Mayfield. I, I know, you're all, I know you're all on board with that. Yeah, no, I do think they had a good draft. It's just because I was kind of going through their picks, and I don't remember off the top of my head now, but they had some good ones. Like in the later rounds, I was like, oh, they got him? They got him? That was a quite a steal. And I hate that I can't remember that right now. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I do think overall they had a good draft. I just think it could have been amazing. Mm. If they would have got Chubb, it would have been fantastic. Like, 
maybe changing to the guard. Maybe, hey, we can start to believe in the Browns a little bit. Mm. Another uh, one that will certainly be questioned, of course, with uh, Gruden making his first selections in the NFL draft in a long, long time for the Raiders. And at number 15, the offensive tackle Colton Miller. A lot of people had him graded out as literally a third-round draft pick, and the Raiders take him literally in the top 15 with the 15th overall pick. Yeah, I, I agree with that one, too. Another one I had is Dante Pettis with the 49ers. And the reason why, it's not a knock on Dante Pettis. I think he's going to be a good pro. And I understand the value he gives you in a return spot. I mean, everyone learned, or actually they still kick to him. I don't understand why, but don't kick to this guy. Well, they picked him, and, and, I, and I do like the pick, but then you look further down, they picked him over Christian Kirk, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Christian Kirk's going to be a better pro. Uh, Kirk's going to be able – he can affect the, the return game as well. So even some of those pluses you give Pettis, you can give those same pluses to Kirk. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. We need to take a timeout. Coming up next, uh, Lane Burroughs, Louisiana Tech's head baseball coach, joins us. We'll revisit this subject after Coach Burroughs, the morning drive on Sports Talk 97.7. Back after this. Welcome back to the show. Today's Louisiana Tech Report brought to you by Legacy Rehab. They offer physical, occupational, and speech therapy solutions for many of our local health care facilities. Whether it's sports medicine, pediatrics, or chronic pain management, Legacy covers it all. Serving locations in Ruston, Monroe, Bassett, Farmerville, Bernice, Minden, and South Arkansas. Call 255-5980 for more information. That number is 255-5980. That is Legacy Rehab. Now joining us on the Stuart Shelby Hotline, Lane Burroughs. How are you doing this morning, Coach? Hey, Aaron, doing good. A lot better than this time yesterday. We were working on about three hours sleep, getting in late uh, Sunday night or early Monday morning. So got some sleep last night, doing a little better. I promise no fashion questions uh, this morning, but uh, it is a little different of a week for you guys, the fact that uh, you don't have a midweek game. How nice is that for this team to kind of get refocused and maybe a little re-energized for this home stretch run? I think it's good for the fact that uh, they do get their legs back under them. And we had two long, long road trips, uh, go to Marshall and then come back, have a midweek game, and then you have to get on a bus and go to Western Kentucky. That's uh, And it ended up being a really long trip for us. And uh, I think it, it comes at a great time that, that, that they can rest and get caught up in school and get their legs back under them, recharge, refocus, as you said, and, and, uh, you know, personally, I like playing. Uh, I don't like not having a midweek game. I wish we were out there playing and competing. But I think uh, with all that those kids have going on in their life, uh, with school and social life and, and uh, you know, grinding it out, two long road trips, uh, I think uh, a, a week off as far as not having a midweek game couldn't have come at a better time. All right, uh, let's put it in reverse a little bit. Uh, you win uh, two or three versus Western Kentucky after dropping the first one. Had to be nice to see your team rally, and they rallied a big way in the game, too, as the Bats came alive with uh, 13 runs. But overall, the series with the Hilltoppers, what were some of your biggest takeaways? Well, we ran into a really good arm on Friday night, and uh, we didn't play well last week against UL Lafayette, and that kind of carried over into Friday, and it was kind of concerning. Uh, the Thurston kid for uh, Western Kentucky, he's one of the better arms in the league, and you get him a lead, and, and I thought Matt Miller threw well, and uh, they got he gave up three run homer and they got ahead and it's going to be hard to come back on that guy but uh, he was good and uh, I thought Saturday you know we we came out like you said and uh, played some different people and moved them around and it was kind of our day the stars aligned and uh, there wasn't much we we couldn't uh, we couldn't hit they threw up there uh, everybody in the lineup was swinging the bat and it it was a very offensive day for us and 
and uh, you know we put ourselves in a position a lot this year to to have to win a series uh, to win on Sunday, and that's that's tough to do. And uh, we talk about it from day one when we 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 convene as a team and our first meeting in the fall. Sunday's all about toughness, and championships are won on Sunday. And and uh, we've had to win a lot of Sunday games to win a series, and uh, couldn't be more pleased and proud of our guys the way they went out. And uh, it didn't look good. Uh, it wasn't an offensive day, and it's. It's uh, it's a two to two ball game there, and I think the ninth or tenth, and you're on the road, and when you got to go extra innings on the road, it's uh, it can be tough. And they had bases loaded, one out, and uh, we we get the probably one of the strangest double plays I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but whatever it takes, we got it done, and we're able to get out of that inning. And Dalton Skelton was able to hit a solo homer, and we added another run on an error, throwing error. And, and uh, Hasler closed it out. So our guys just never kept fighting. You know, those Sunday games, like we say, toughness, and, and uh, they never kept fighting and uh, kept coming back. And uh, thank goodness we were able to pull out the series. Uh, a couple of notes about the Saturday game. They really got you off to a great uh, start, the, the 18 hits, and then the performance that you got on the mound from uh, Logan Robbins, uh, going 7-0 and now on the year. Uh, what has he meant to this pitching staff and this team overall? I think his last two starts, Aaron, the ball's been coming out of his hand better than it has all year. Uh, you know, I even talked to Coach Pulowski, their head coach at Western, and he was talking to me Sunday, and he said, man, I got on my assistance because the scouting report just wasn't right. You know, it was the scouting report says 80, 84, 87, and, and uh, they had radar gun working, and, and Logan was sitting 88, 90. I mean, he was mm. he settled in at 88, 90. So uh, the ball was absolutely coming out of his hand, uh, exploding, and, his velocity was way up and probably the best he's pitched all year. And, and it seems like he's getting stronger as the year goes on and, and uh, couldn't be more pleased with the way he's been throwing the baseball uh, the last two weekends. And, man, that's, that's you know, he did get hit in the arm. He's had Tommy John surgery and the ball came back at him there in the, in the eighth and uh, it hit him on the scar right there and, and uh, or in the seventh and he faced one more hitter and it was time to get him out of there. Kind of a scary moment. Uh, ball hit back at him really hard and, uh, it had a little swelling yesterday, but I think he'll be okay. And and uh, as we go into this next weekend, and but yeah, he's been a he's been a shot in the arm for us. He's been pretty consistent all year, but just really feel like that he's throwing the ball a lot better these last two weeks. Well, he certainly looks like he's got a lot of gas left in the tank. I know this is the time of the year you get a little concerned the home stretch, and of course, it has been a long and a long road throughout the season. Overall, health wise, and the team's psyche going into these last couple of weeks, you feel pretty good about him. Yeah, you know, uh, Bailey was kind of a question mark. Logan Bailey on Sunday, Saturday he threw, and he told Coach Barton his arm and his shoulder wasn't feeling good. So you're like, man, here we go. Uh, <laughs> he, so uh, Sunday was kind of a game-time decision for him, and he was able to post and, and uh, threw well. And it, it's that time of year, like you said. And, you know, knock on wood, we've been fortunate. Uh, we hadn't had to deal with too many injuries and as far as serious injuries. And, uh, you know, obviously guys are, are banged up a little bit. Everybody in the country is right now. And, and nicked up, and uh, but those are things you, you have to deal with as part of the gig. Uh, when you get deep into the season, you're playing every day, and with, with the exception of Chris Clayton, who missed I think four or five games, and uh, he, he's probably not 100, percent but he played really well for us this weekend. Uh, swung the bat probably as good as he has in a long time, and uh, maybe a few days off helped him. But yeah, as far as health wise, we feel good about it, and uh, not having a midweek. I know the, you know the question is, is layout go to the weekend and. We're still thinking about those things as well. Hmm. Feels like you haven't been at home for a weekend home conference series in a long, long time. It's almost been a, a month. How nice will it be back to be there this weekend and, of course, up against uh, Middle Tennessee? 
it'll be awesome, Aaron. Uh, we talked about that on the way home the other night, man. It's it's uh, two of our longest trips that you'll take in our league, and that's a flight to Marshall and a bus trip to Western Kentucky, and and uh, to be able to have those back to back, and uh, to get back in the Love Shack in front of our fans, and you know, time's running out. There's three weekends left in the season. It's hard to believe we're in May, and uh, the season's coming to an end, and we're down the home stretch now, and. Uh, we have two huge series at home to end the season. You know, this weekend we'll middle, and, and a couple weekends we'll end the year with Old Dominion and sandwich in between that at Southern Miss. So three huge series, and, and uh, everything we want to do is right in front of us. Our young men have put us in a position to reach a lot of goals that we set, and uh, they just continue to play hard and go out. And uh, it ain't always the prettiest, but uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. Our guys just compete their tails off and, and uh, they talk about the level of toughness they have and the maturity. And, and uh, like I said, we don't we don't ask for pretty victories. We just ask uh, just to go out there and get it done. And our guys have been doing a tremendous job with that. All right, Lane, uh, Blue Raiders 22-22-1 on the season, but just 17-13-1 in conference play. Give us a little scouting report on that. Kind of similar to last year. They can really hit. Uh, they're one of the best hitting teams in the league if you look at their numbers. And they play in a park similar to ours. Uh, it's a hitter's park. And, when the wind's blowing, it'll jump out of there. Uh, they lead our league in stolen bases, so there's going to be a lot of action, and when they get on base, they're going to move the runners and, and try to pressure defense. Their pitching numbers aren't great, but look, last year we uh, we ended the year, and we're right there on the bubble to get in the regional, and uh, we're playing pretty well, and we end the season at Middle Tennessee, same deal. They can hit. Pitching isn't all that great, and, and uh, they beat us two out of three. You know, they were kind of dangerous because they were out of the conference tournament, so they let it all hang out, and uh, we went up there, and, and uh, they got us two out of three. So uh, you don't take anything for granted. Don't look at records. And, and uh, like I say every week, and I say it over and over, everybody in our league's good. And I just feel like every weekend we play the same team, and uh, it's a battle every time you go out there. And We need to, we need to take care of our home turf and, and make hay this weekend and, and not look, look ahead to anybody. And, and uh, I know they're coached well. they got good players, and uh, it'll be a fun weekend. Uh, to go out in front of our home uh, home crowd and get after it. And, Lane, you know us media schmoes and fans are looking at your RPI and certainly the conference standings. You guys are right in the thick of it. Uh, trail, of course, Southern Miss, Florida Atlantic right on your heels. But uh, with just a couple series left, uh, you are certainly in the hunt for a regular season conference championship. Yeah, you, we are. You know, I mean, I, those guys look at it. I can't – you can't – this day and age, you can't hide anything from those guys. And, uh, you know, it's hard not to see it or hear about it. And, and that's where we want to be. You know, we're trying to get this program to where year in and year out that it's a disappointment if we're not in that, in that position. And, again, it's, uh, it's, it's weekend to weekend, game to game, and uh, they all take on a life of their own. And uh, if you would have been sitting there watching it on Sunday and you would have been a Bulldog fan, you wouldn't have been feeling good about it. And we get the crazy double play and strange things just happen, and, and our guys just kept fighting. And keep doing that and just win games. That's all we can control is uh, – uh, what we do in the next game, we can't control what uh, everything else is going on around us. And our guys have been pretty good at that, Aaron, this year, just uh, focusing on what's in front of them and, and, and controlling what you can't control. And uh, we hope to continue that the last uh, three weeks of the year. Lane, one final question. It was announced last week that Wayne Graham, uh, they're not renewing his contract or he's not coming back to Rice. And, of course, you've been around this business for a while, not as long as uh, Coach Graham uh, what has he meant to the game, and you, were you a little surprised with uh, this announcement from Rice? Yeah, you know, you, you kind of wish a guy like that that's meant so much to our game and has uh, put so many players at the next level, and not only pro ball, but in the big leagues. And 
I mean, you go all the way back to San Jack when he was uh, the head coach at San Jacinto Junior College, and he Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, and winning national championships. I mean, it the list is really long of players and accomplishments, and you kind of wish he would have been able to go out on his own terms. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, he you know he he he's an older guy, and he looks like it. But let me tell you, when you sit down and talk to Wayne Graham, that mind is sharp, and and uh, he knows more baseball and already forgot more than we'll all know. So. Uh, you uh, kind of was surprised by the move, but uh, that's the day and age we're in now. And, and um, you know, we wish him the best. I know he says he still wants to coach. And uh, you just kind of wish those, those young men will uh, buckle up and send him out on a good note, get hot, start playing ball like they're capable. And, and uh, I told somebody the other day, man, I would hate to be playing rice now. You just you feel like those young men will probably play hard for him down the stretch, and, and uh, we wish him the best. But, yeah, to answer your question, it did kind of catch me off guard and kind of a surprise move in my opinion. Lane, as always, we appreciate the time. We'll see you this weekend. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Thank you. That uh, Louisiana Tech report brought to you by Legacy Rehab. You looked at the RPI. Where's Louisiana Tech sitting right now? Louisiana Tech is at 55, according to warrennolan.com. 888-993-7762. Let's take a timeout. Coming up next, our parting shots on the morning drive. Welcome back to the Morning Drive on Sports Talk 97.7. It is that time of the show when we end with a bang. It's a little segment we call Parting Shots. Most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. Our parting shots are clean and spontaneous. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Nothing is off limits. That's the stupidest question you've asked today. Of course we don't have any computers. Our fearless hosts. But they are who we thought they were. We'll pull no punches. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your Time to hand out some knowledge. What else do you want to know? Parting shots as we attempt to end with a bang. I love you guys so much. Bourbon Street, watch out. I love Larry Merchant when he gets fired up like love anybody when they get fired up. <laughs> well, how about you get fired up for your parting shot? Uh, you got a hodgepodge or stuff. I, you know, I always got a hodgepodge. So, a couple things. One, I want to reflect real quick on Washtenaw Parish. You know, they won the, the softball state championship Saturday. Uh, they came back from a 7-0 deficit. Y'all know that by now. They won 10-9 against Hanville. But That is pretty incredible to be down 7 nothing, win any game, yeah. let alone the state championship game. And what was crazy, too, is, you know, I went out and talked to a lot of the girls yesterday, and you could see it in their eyes, and I, I believed them. They were not concerned being down 7 to nothing. They really – I said, well, what inning could it have been for y'all to start getting worried? And they said, ah, maybe six. <laughs> like, that's how confident they were. And I, even Tim Whitman, the head coach, said that uh, they would come back. He said usually they would tell me, you know, whether a girl was sick or, or nasty on the mound or if they believed they could hit her. It's a, they came back, they were calm, cool. They were like, oh, we can hit her, coach. Just wait, we can hit her. And sure, sure enough, they did. But uh, I wanted to give a stat from, from the, this group of seniors that, that won the state championship. In their four-year career, they were 112 and 19. <laughs> they won 112 games and lost 19. That's pretty spectacular. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. So I just wanted to read that stat. And, and now uh, some have them ranked as the number one team in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So they're getting a lot of a lot of love there. My other thing was we mentioned the RPI for uh, Louisiana Tech, and it's at 55. Um, I want to also kind of look at LSU because I think a lot of people are starting to kind of panic. 
with the way LSU's kind of falling off this year. Josh Smith doesn't even look like he's going to be able to come back. And, and that's speculation, but just if you're looking at Paul Maneri and how, how he's talking about him, it doesn't look good. You know, he left game two uh, of the Ole Miss series and didn't return. And then, you know, people asked Paul Maneri about it, and uh, it just sounded real bleak. He he didn't seem sure that he would come back, and it, it, he didn't know. Did they rush him back? I hope not. I hope they didn't rush him back. But, it, you know, if you don't have Josh Smith, you already this team already has so many problems. If you take away Josh Smith, and even if Josh Smith isn't, isn't 100%, I mean, that you got some real issues. So LSU's at 53, and on, on the rest of their schedule, they still have enough games to, you know, even some people still think that they can possibly still host as a national seed, which I don't see. I think they would have to win, you know, go on a win streak here. And, the thing that would benefit them is you look at their remaining opponents. They play both Arkansas and Auburn. Arkansas is five in RPI, and Auburn is six. So you think if you sweep both of those series and you don't have any more hiccups, maybe. I'm still not quite buying that, but Palmineri still believes that, that maybe they can. Anyway, I say all this to, to you know point out the fact that LSU still has some really big games left, but just with, with the way the season has gone, with the way the pitching has gone, I, I don't know, man. I, this is the first For time. For you to say that, it, it hurts you. I can tell it's but, painful. Well, no, no, no. This is the first time I've come to the realization of they might not do it. Like, they might. I mean, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. But they might be. I don't know if they're getting out of a regional. Which, I think at the back of my mind, I always just kind of assumed that they would figure it out and everything would, would kind of come together at the end of the year, the the injury, the people would start getting more healthy and or healthier and, and, you know, they would just start to click in the lineup. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's not looking good on the injury front and the pitching hasn't really. You're in a position to where if Zach Hess or Mikael Hillard struggle and have to come out early, you're pretty much done. You know what I mean? Because you waste your bullpen on that game, and then you know the, the final game of the series, you're just like, yeah, what do we got here? It's just how bad the bullpen's been. But anyway, just wanted to point out those RPI numbers if you're kind of looking ahead and trying to predict what's going to happen down the stretch. Mm. Some broadcasting news. I thought you would go here off our favorite website, uh, one of our favorites, awfulannouncing.com. Uh, they're keeping track of where, it was about a year ago, the massive layoffs by ESPN and where basically everybody has landed in the last year. I know a couple of them caught you off guard. Yeah. Uh, Mark May. Mark May. Paul from Grace. Where is he at now? Uh, Central Arkansas. What's he, is he doing, doing like radio? radio work. Yeah, so Mark May's doing radio in Arkansas. John Clayton's doing, I guess this is still pretty big, sideline reporting for Seattle Seahawks. But uh, it's funny to kind of go through that list and look at these names that you're so used to seeing on a national stage and going, wait, he's doing radio in Arkansas? Yeah, yeah it's kind of kind of crazy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're talking about a big reduction in, you know, in how many people see And him. I tried to point out, what about Ryan Russillo? And uh, Jake over here didn't like that. He's still with ESPN. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Stop piling on We've heard boy. from him so many times lately. I, have, seen I, I still hear from him, from him <laughs> weekly. Uh, there is some broadcasting news, and this is supposed to break. Uh, there's a d- big decision. It's the dilemma. What does Jason Witten do? Does he come back for another year at the Cowboys and make an estimated $2 million? Or now the report's out there. 
that there's a deal on the table where he could be offered between four and four and a half million dollars by ESPN to get into broadcasting work. Not a bad gig if you can get it. Four million a year as a rookie yeah, in the business. So you're saying I can double my salary and not take any hits? <laughs> yes, please. But your career will be over. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I'm for it. I think he should do it just because, you know, you're still in, in good health and you can go out and. It really still amazes me that they ha- it can, you know, we talk about all the cutbacks at ESPN, but then they can still turn around and say, hey, we'll throw four, four and a half million dollars at a, an all-pro future Hall of Fame tight end. And I don't know how many people are actually tuning in the game and say, hey, I want to hear Jason Witten, I want to hear Gruden, I want to hear so-and-so calling a game. Nobody tunes in for that, but I think it can affect the overall presentation. Yes. If the announcers sure. are bad, then it's just like – it hurts the overall product. So it is important to get good announcers. It's not for marketing. We're not talking about Sergio Dip. Anyone know his name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not but I'm just saying it's not for marketability. I think it's just for quality of the product. So you gotta pay four million dollars, four and a half million dollars to get it? Maybe. I mean this guy's used to making big time salaries. You see what John Gruden was making. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if if you're witting too, I mean the Monday night spots open yeah. what if you play another year that spot's not going to be open most likely if you play another year so it just sounds like too good to pass up uh we certainly look forward to tonight's game to pels versus warriors this should be fun hopefully the pels put up a big fight and then of course the other uh, storyline in this game steph curry does he return tonight he is probable but uh, steve kerr basically said that he expects him to play yeah so we're you know we're looking at this game it would be fantastic if they tied up the series, came came home to New Orleans with a series tie. But I really just want to see better effort, and I want to see better defensive play. Even if they don't win, I want to see much more competitive play to give me faith that they can return to New Orleans and really make this a series. Uh, I want to thank Mark Montgomery from Lady Texters for joining us, Gus Kattengale, and, of course, Lane Burroughs. Coming up tomorrow, it is Wednesday. Michael Federico will join us for his weekly visit around 8 o'clock or so. Also, our doctor segment coming up at 7.30, and we'll have another surprise or two come tomorrow. Everybody have a fantastic day. The Edge, they are ready. Puff Daddy's all dressed up and ready to go. Thanks for listening to the best of The Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.